Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar, kicking it to you with the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the Master Adventure, as well as the quest, the first quest of Schemes and Shadows. Our party has had an interesting bit of RP work up to this point involving some sledding. Pretty much the biggest takeaway of everything. I mean, sure, there's a shadowy cult, the queen's in danger, there's a bunch of weird political nonsense, but guys, they went sledding. Yeah, yeah. did you say the campaign name, the quest was of skis and shadows? Ah, yeah, see, there you go. Somebody's listening to me, of skis and shadows, there you go. So anyway, turns out Norhill's really good at skiing. Anton has seasonal depression. Kaliko's really good at uh, having vibrating beepers that nobody knew about. And Jarzak, Jarzak has cool tricks. Trust me. <laughs> like sledding face first. Um, but with that, the party had made a long trek, uh, nearly half a 10 day with their horsies, thankfully, uh, over to the city of Dustwind, hoping to get some answers from a certain occult studying guy whose name is anybody anybody i have it dash money there you go and so nice. with that our party are pretty much dumped on the door of this sandy desert city and which is an anomaly or as some would call it an anomaly uh in the uh middle of the grasslands so with that what is the plan for the party in this place it's about Klinka. midday and it is like 85 degrees Klika checks her belt to see what's vibrating the dagger itself hums lightly with vibration in a way that I guess the only way to describe it is like a beeper. Like it just, it vibrates a couple times to like notify you and then it's just dead. Oh. Well, Flicker's never done that before, but. So you make it known to everybody? Yeah. Ugh. Flicker was just buzzing. It was going brrrr. <laughs> People slowly walk by in groups with carriages. And <laughs> Click is just <laughs> shaking with her. Shaking flicker, flicker in front of her. <laughs> Damn tourists. Is there anything different about the dagger from usual? <laughs> just stabs Norhill. No, it seems to be working just fine. <laughs> You know, I don't know what I expected. But, uh, yeah. Seems pretty much the exact same. It just hummed and vibrated in a way that, again, I could only describe as being not unlike just getting like a notification on a phone or something where it just like hummed a couple times, but that's it. Maybe the blade has a mate. Maybe in this place. Ronnie! We're not starting a quest where we get the blade laid, okay? Even though, not gonna lie, now that I heard that it's a sex quest to get a blade laid, I'm like, a yeah, little I'm bit kinda, into I'm kind of yeah. into yeah, it. You know, I wasn't Just... really hooked before, but now I think I'm yeah. really into this quest. Damn it, quest Ronnie, name, the blade. blade. It might be a second blade. It might be a two. It might be a part of a set. How's that sound? Better? It kind of sounds like it might be part of a sex, and that sounds close enough to me. Ronnie, stop making things canon. The naked one would not approve. <laughs> the the feathers on Kleeka's shield begin to blow in a ghostly wind. 
<laughs> so with that, what's the plans for the party? Well, the As queen didn't like... tell us how to find Dashmani, so we'll have to search the city for him. Okay. And so the first district you guys are going to be going into, which Anton knows somehow as whatever, uh, but Anton starts heading into this place uh, with the party in tow, knowing that this first district is known as the Passage, and this is like the equivalent of like a fantasy highway where there's just like four lanes wide of carriages and people moving to and fro through here as if this is like the main way into the grand marketplace and it's just a place where people just travel in and out with no major traffic apart from you know what i mean like it's so wide a space it almost looks like over time people have just traveled it that much that it became a four-lane highway out here but what sort of people and mounts and carriages and styles are we seeing it's pretty much just horses and ponies. You see the occasional like riding dog when you see like gnomes and halflings and stuff like that traveling through here as well. But this walk to the center is about like three, four, five miles just leading in before you start to see like stable homes that aren't shanty villages. You know what I'm saying? But I will say the one part that's probably the most demoralizing for Anton, and I just, I think about it now that I'm like, why did I have to include this when I know Anton's in the party? But there are any number of beggars on the side of the road, including... Oh no! He's gonna (laughs) give, like, all his rations away. Okay, but can I also get an insight check from everybody but Anton? Because Anton would not even care to check the inside of these children. Nope. He's just giving all. I'm, I'm giving. He's giving away all his rations. Norhill critted for a total of a twenty-two. Hit him with that cold dwarven logic. Norhill's got been, a nine. Norhill's been Char- through here. Jars, I got a seven. Oh Jesus! Norhill's been through here enough times, and he's heard of the practices of the children, and even worse, the masters out here, where you have these sort of like child rings where they try to pick up food and and givings and stuff like that from like silly travelers who come in here and feel bad these children all have homes this is just like their job and people will go to orphanages and just pick up children that look like sick and and sad and pick up good actors just so that they can beg for stuff and get stuff and like at the end of the day bring it back to whoever like has their home and so anton just gave over how many rations six (laughs) Meanwhile, Norhill is just like, you know, looking at uh, Klika and Jarjak now. Be on the lookout. Most of the poor people here aren't actually poor and homeless. Well, no, no, no. You don't. They are. It's just that they're also being manipulated in a way that's very awful by people who manage to take them in. You see what I'm saying? This is Norhill's foreign dwarf logic. Oh, Oh, that's awful. (laughs) You know, at first I thought there was a misunderstanding. Now I realize Norhill has just got some thoughts. Okay, so <laughs> I mean, heavy yeah, libertarian I, 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 thoughts. I don't know why I make this assumption, but I feel like dwarves are all about like, you know, like like communal living, and people don't just live out on the streets. Yeah. Right. So this is him making the erroneous assumption that because we need to be looking out for you know pickpockets and charlatans. That it's all just a ruse. Yeah, I think in my mind, in dwarven society, you, the only time, and like obviously this is not reflective of real life at all, but the only time you would be homeless is by choice. So, or if like, you were like, you know, disgrace your clan to the point that you're not allowed to be. Right. At, at which point, like, it's, you're, you're so far under society that, like, it's, not even worth like noting but yeah let me me put it this way i think this is a good way of taking norhill's thought and putting it into a context here norhill's under the impression that their actual occupation is demanding food from others (laughs) so it's just an incredibly dishonorable way to make a living right yeah there we go that makes sense that way he's not like poor people deserve this he's like this is just how they make a living is by being like here and asking for food which whatever that has for implications yeah, I mean, everyone's got to eat, and it makes Anton exactly. happy. Uh, here, Anton, I got a couple spares, and I give over three rations to Anton to hand out. Oh. <laughs> it makes sense, though, that Norhill would almost look at this like the common bard at a tavern, where it's like, the good performer gets food, and these children are little performers, and this is just the occupation they're raised into. So Norhill's like, yeah, that's good and all. 
Anton feed them because they do need to eat, but also recognize that like there's somebody who's making a profit off of this. You know what I mean? Okay. I had to do a lot of gymnastics to like almost apologize to myself for having including this entire thing in here, which in retrospect, I'm like, why did I include any of this? <laughs> I'm like, you know, I probably didn't need yeah, any. It, it, it definitely doesn't feel good, but now I'm just, you know, tripling down on this thing. I said all half cocked. It's, it's not, it's not easy for Norhill being a stranger in a strange land. Yeah. And I'll say something else about this, that it also sort of, helps illustrate the vibe of this city that there are this many people coming and going but there are this many people sitting on the side of the road in the baking heat like just hoping to get something to eat to go home to a place that doesn't welcome them like this is not a good place for a lot of people for a place to have this much of like a following and a majesty in this big of a market there have to be a lot of people that are kind of stepped on to get to that point and that's kind of the cruel reality of knowing that this is like the diamond of the desert out here, but knowing also that this is a place that's not kind to, to anything but the best. You know what I'm saying? So you guys walking in with tons of money, and I guess this kind of triples down on Anton giving away the food too, that it's like Anton's probably painfully aware that like getting rid of a child saves people a lot of money and saves them a lot of time and effort in their lives. And as Anton helped raise more children than pretty much anybody else, like, I don't know. He's painfully reminded that it's the duty of those who care enough to like help. So it's gotta be a very painful experience for Anthony coming in here. Yeah. That's sad. Very solemn. But I think in a way, carrying the lantern probably bolsters your belief that like you stopping and giving them the food without question of anything shows the level of charity that you uphold. You know what I'm saying? And I think that there's something to be said about the fact that you did it for the people and not for the light. I think that that probably helps bolster Anton in this whole thing that like, even though this breaks Anton down, it does probably look like Anton feels like he has found his purpose doing this. You know what I mean? Granted, it's only like nine rations that he's handing out, but like- I need to learn how to bake bread. I need to learn how to make, make rations to give rations. One more level and you have create food and water. You're almost there. I know, right? Is this where Anton's going to end up retiring to and just open up a bakery and he's just going to spend his adventurous livings just baking charity bread for people? All yeah. of your spell slots every day on Heroes Feasts. Mm. Aw, Anton, Lord of the Feast, Keeper of the Flame. <laughs> Aw. So anyway, now that we did that, um, the party is able to head through the passage and enter through like the major, one of the major living districts where there are a lot of guild halls and guild houses and tons of inns, more than you could count, more taverns than you could count, fountains, brothels, just all these different major places where you can see people kind of just piling up um, in a non-COVID world. And you guys, can, as you continue in for another like two or so hours through this traffic of people, you make it to what could be described as the grand market and grand market is an understatement as there are just like shanty villages of carts and stalls to the point you wonder like, does anybody ever close a cart or stall here? Because it's all just so jam packed and tight together that it's pretty much single file walking to get through any part of this with a gigantic and humongous fountain in the center, which shows a couple of dragons duking it out. Um, it's hard to tell exactly what kinds of dragons they are as the statues here look like they're very well battered and beaten, but you can tell that the fountains themselves are spurting water out of the mouths in a way that like they're like spraying at each other and spraying into a fine mist all around. But this thing is a titanic fountain and it seems to be like, you know, one of the major, I would say like, I don't want to say like the uh, crowning jewel of the Ryan market, but there's little kids sloshing and playing in the water as well. And just kind of like dunking each other. And you see people bathing in here, but the water doesn't look filthy at all. So it almost seems like maybe this is purposed to be like this, but yeah. There's little kids and Klika. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where's Klika? Klika's running through. Yeah. Just riding on the back of the dragon, like, woo! <laughs> Sliding down the back. You're <laughs> like, we, but uh, can Kalika give me a Arcana check? You have Arcana? Yeah. Swag. It's not good, but I have it. Ooh, soft 20. These are brass dragons. 
And you feel a strange sense of knowing that, even though over the years, these statues have worn down a lot of the details. For some reason, you just know this fact very, very painfully, clearly that that's the case. And it's just kind of like brought to your attention that there's just two brass dragons. And the more you look at it, the statues don't actually look like they're like angrily fighting one another. And knowing how brass, traction, brass dragons function, this almost looks like they're in some sort of heated spirited debate. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so seeing that the kids are playing in the water here shows that this isn't some like gruesome statue. It's just kind of brass dragons doing what brass dragons do. You know what I mean? It's like seeing a statue of people fencing. It's not like they're fighting to the death. It's more like the sport. You know what I mean? Yeah. So with that, you guys scream louder. (laughs) What's that Fox news? No, I'm just kidding. Um, But anyway, uh, what's the uh, more like American debate system, but anyway, um, Woo! What's the? Are we just gonna cut the first thirty minutes of this episode? Is I that the plan this, at this, this point? Is, this is a sweet, sweet episode. <laughs> we are really. I know it. we all sound like terrible people this time. I don't think uh, so. I think Amazon sounds, sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Anton's really pulling back from the uh, last episode. No, I think this is an important thing, though. This should be a difficult place to be. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, the sort of thing you think of in any major city where there's this much money. It's like that old silly ethical dilemma where it's like, would you rather live in a place where 99% of people are in total peace and harmony, but 1% are in absolute abhorrent conditions? So that, you know what I mean? And this is kind of this place in a living condition where it's like, I mean, the market is fruitful, colorful, loud, and, and happy. Like people are just having a good time. There's not a lot of angriness. There's not a lot of street rabble, but that's because everybody who's here can afford to comfortably be here selling wares and buying wares. So it's one of those things where you guys had to walk through the passage before you could get to the place where you guys, money bags, you know, included, belong. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. what it's worth. I'm keeping the 30 minutes. I can suck my ass. So does Klika notice Flicker reacting at all as we travel through like the stalls and all the city and stuff? No. Um, can Norhill look out for any establishment that seems to be like fortune tellers or, you know, esoterica, you know, oddities, anybody who seems like they would be in the vein of an occultist? Would that even be a religion check, like, to get just a better idea of what to look for? Um... No, I mean, I figure it makes sense that it's like, it'd be like an archivist, like anybody who runs a major library, but for a very specific thing. You know what I mean? So by looking to things like fortune tellers and stuff, that that does make a deal of sense, as well as like, you know, fancy book dealers, I guess would be a thing too. So if I got to get an investigation check from everybody, that would be fine. That's another 19 in a row. 18 from Klika. That 20 for Jarzak. Uh, that'll be a big fat seven. <laughs> well, I, I guess that makes sense. Norhill doesn't really know what he's looking at. Yeah. You don't, you, uh, you don't take the modifier on a nat 20, right? I mean, it doesn't matter okay. at that point. It's Perfect. Just... It's but... all malarkey to Norhill, you know? Yeah. It's just like, I'm going to look for something that looks stupid and fake. <laughs> just looking around, that's Everybody everything. knows that the only <laughs> legitimate form of fortune telling is directional geomancy yeah so i mean naturally this is an episode that makes anton look good it makes norhill look like an ass that's that's all this episode is and Kalika's just as playful and jarzak's in the same vein of probably something for girls like it's you know it's pretty much smooth sailing yeah everybody gets their spotlight and a little bit of a spotlight yeah Kind of scared to see what the downside of Anton is. Well, no, Anton did have a few episodes of like, why don't we cut her head off and carry it around to scare them? You remember that with the cultist? Yep. <laughs> For a while, Anton was on team. Let's display the dead head as a trophy. Let's let's all have that known that when Anton's like, I'll bake bread for the children. That was supposed to be an immediate sign of peace. <laughs> the the head right? chopped off. Yeah. Uh, Anton also passed up on like, helping those right. lizard people. That's very true. <laughs> it's literally just about the kids. This is just Santa. Santa doesn't approve of lizards. Fuck a lizard. Lizards or witches. So anyway, the party was able very easily to find somebody who sold books 
and not only just books, but a bunch of like fancy leather bound, like books on the occult, dark mysticisms and magics. So it was pretty easy to find this guy, but yeah, Jarzak was able to point him out very clearly before anybody else. But yeah, so you guys walk over to the stall and before you is what could only be described as a half goblin. He is a wretched looking green skinned man, but his ears do not look like that of a goblin, nor do his teeth. He looks almost like if Yoda and Kermit had a like had a weird love child with like Joe Pesci. Oh my. Yeah, and he just turns to you guys as you come over to his wares, and you notice one eye is a lot bigger than the other one, as if one belonged to a human and one belonged to a goblin. And he looks at you guys as you approach the stall and he says, I don't I don't think you have the money to afford what I have to sell. First editions, premium copies. Whoa, premium copies. Oh, I think you might be right. (laughs) That's not funny, but whoa, (laughs) copies. Guys, we got to get out of here. They they used the good inks on this one. Uh, Wow, you're selling some good stuff. I mean... For me, it all looked like a bunch of fakes. I was going to start spreading the news around town about it being fake. And he's like, you're trying to threaten me? Yes. That's exactly what I'm doing. Your reputation's on the line. And he says, what is your plan here? Are you trying to get a discount or something? Yes. That'd be great. So we can afford it. You know, look. I'm going to show you my wares, but I'll show you the good stuff. But listen, there's a bit of a cover charge. I'll do you this. Five gold pieces, and you can see the good stuff. Yeah, the cover charge is, I don't tell anyone you're selling crap here. He's and like, you let oh, me see what, the good stuff. What, are they going to Are they gonna believe you? You don't even have dust under your fingers or dirt in your hair. I don't believe you. Nobody will believe you. over there casting what? mending on Jarzak <laughs> as, as he goes to clean him up. <laughs> like the one time he needed to be dirty. And, and the point being that, like, you can tell this is something of, like, a, I don't want to say it, like, a culturalism where they're just, like, this means that you belong in the market. You've been here. Like, the sand is in you. Like, you're part of Dustwind. And you guys just bump okay. from stupid town. And you're just like, I'm going to say you lied. And I'm like, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, very bad man. No dust under my fingers because I pay someone else to do my dirty work. Now let me see the good stuff. Jarzak, you can use 100 XP. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> you don't even do XP. Well, you Mark lose. it down. Mark it down. I de-leveled. <laughs> but with that, he says, cover charge just went up to 10 gold. If you and your stupid friends don't want to pay the money, then I don't have to show you any of my books. You can see he slams shut both doors to his little stall. Uh. Before he fully slams it, Jarzak's just going to jingle his coin purse. And he says, yeah, I know you had it when you walked over here. Again, you don't have sand and dust in your hair, but I can smell the coins in your purse. All right, guys, we can go shopping somewhere else. He says, go ahead. Bye-bye. All right, so I'll regroup with everyone, and I'll be like, (laughs) guys, this... Anton, did you see that goblin-type creature? Like, he looks messed up. He's probably in a lot of pain and misery right now. That's really judgmental, Jarzak. He was like he was suffering. Jarzak, maybe at the next one, you let someone else do the talking. I, I mean, we could just put him out of his misery, though. <laughs> Anton, like it, it you, wasn't. You know, didn't he look like he was just screaming in pain? So Jarzak and Norhill are just in a deathly race for who can be the most offensive <laughs> in one episode. Jarzak did give a few rations away. What was that, the cover charge? <laughs> <laughs> really awful later. Here's yeah. like three piety points. You know, to, for the children, but for a goblin who's messed up like it, that? Just, just... Anton just gives Jarzak a look, pulls ten gold point, ten gold pieces out of his purse, and knocks on the door and says, 
Well, I mean, he's he's standing in front of it. It's something of like it looks almost like an armoire that's been refinished to have like bookshelves inside of it, and it's got like little wheelies attached to the back of it, as if some guy like tilts it like a two wheeler. Yeah, so he just closed the doors when when Jarzak was looking. But with that, as you approach, and he says, "Eh, finally, Sony with some responsible intellect to them." So, did, so because of that, did he hear me when I suggested we just kill him? No, I would imagine that you didn't say it loud enough for him to hear you. But he swings the doors open as he takes the gold pieces. And he says, now, I know that you are a man who appreciates the finer literatures of the world. And so for that reason, my friend, as he taps you on the arm, Anton, he says, I'm going to show you the creme de la creme of books that I have in my stock. And so he pulls out this dusty leather tome and he holds it up upside down and he slaps it. This bad boy right here, darkest secrets of all the realms within true, truly mind-bending stuff. And now I'm going to need you. Uh, does anybody? Oh, wait. Yeah. No, everybody. Okay. Yeah. It's in the common tongue. But can I get a perception check from everybody? Also, Klika did spend a lot of time reading um, like the, <laughs> Is it the books and stuff. While she was like cross book, like trapped with those wizards that were experimenting and stuff and like cleaning around. That's why she has like training in arcana and history and all that stuff. Not she's not good at any of them, but she spent a lot of time reading just very dry like tomes and stuff. So does she recognize it? In a way, yeah, I would say so. And I think that you have probably a moment of recollection. What did everybody get on perception checks? Except for I got okay, good. As well. 18. Five. So you guys can all tell that he's holding it upside down, but both Norhill and Anton can tell that this book has like an authorship on the on the on the uh, the spine there that says Dashmani on it. And as he holds it up upside down, he's very clearly trying to tell you that he's reading it the right way, as if he's just kind of rehearsed this speech about any book he has in his library. But he's very clearly not aware of it, the fact that he's holding it upside down, as if he probably does not have the capacity to read this book, which he is holding. But he holds it up, and Klika has a weird flashback memory of reading like this exact book or seeing it on shelves, and knows the name Dashmani as it comes back to her with like a quick glimpse as she's heard the name tossed about as like an author of a few different books. Is this a bad thing? What do you mean? Like, what Are we kind of, looking like, at what, like, I, I the Necronomicon this, or something? No, no, no. Like, no, yeah, but like, would Kalika have an emotional reaction to this? I don't imagine so. I imagine it's just like a moment of like, holy shit, that's right. You know what I mean? And she mm. like, has a moment of like, okay. it's almost like Slum Dog Millionaire, where all of a sudden you have a moment, you're like, where did I know Dashmani? And it's like, oh yeah, when I was eight years old and I was in the closet cleaning and I stole a piece of cheese and I like fell down and hid under a couple of books. And one of them said Dashmani on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So I imagine it's more of like a, what the hell? Oh yeah. But okay, so everybody can tell this little goblin guy is illiterate and full of shit. And he probably never even had these books on his own and probably stolen from somebody. It's pretty apparent at this point. Can Klika use Mage Hand to just pick the book and turn it so it's right side up in his hand? Yeah. And he sees that it's you doing it. And he has a moment where he says, Dead Drakai? Uh, no. Klika's not... Not with them. That's not Klika's Karbok. Klika is her own goblin. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so with that, uh, he and the goblin tongue kind of comes back and he says, then why do you travel with good peoples? Oh, uh, and then like in Goblin, Klika will fly with, well, these these are like my good friends and they've they're very kind to me. I met them by chance while searching out for my own Karbok. Does anybody else speak Goblin? No. no I nope. think I speak Giant. <laughs> Luckily, he also speaks. No. But with that, he, he kind of like, without saying it, he says, your orc friend is stupid. And I think he said he was going to try to kill me. He's not going to kill me, is he? Um, Probably not. He normally doesn't just murder people in the streets, but he... Uh, no, he won't. I won't let him. 
And so with that, he says, okay, so did you need these books or? And I think in back in common, Cleek is going to say, well, um, so we're looking for the guy who wrote that book you're holding. And he looks at it and it's now right side up. And he says, I don't know if you can tell this, but I cannot read this. Um, can you tell us where you got it? And so with that, he kind of squints a little bit and he says, uh, I'd rather not visit that place again as I didn't exactly procure this book by the kindest of means. Oh, Does well. the name Dashmani mean anything to you? Are you saying this having heard these two talking in Goblin or are you just yelling it out while they're speaking Goblin? Well, I thought Klika started speaking common again. Yeah, Klika said that she started speaking common again. Oh, you did? Yeah, that's why I started talking with Klika's voice again because while oh. in Goblin I was just doing my regular voice. I don't know why I had a moment where I didn't hear that, but whoopsies. Operation delete this episode, but um... <laughs> quick, start over. It's getting closer and closer <laughs> to pulling that trigger. <laughs> I'll never do it. But um, with that, he continues to speak in Goblin the whole time. Okay. Um, so yeah, Klika in common will uh, just ask it um, well, does the name Dashmani mean anything to you then? And so with that, um, he kind of like shrugs his shoulders a little bit and he says, the guy has a fancy shop somewhere over, uh, over by the, uh, the Fangstones, but I don't know. He just, I know he doesn't have much to him and I know that he's got a lot of impressive wares. Guy's got too many books. So I just kind of, uh, <laughs> Went in there with the exterminators, and turns out I didn't exterminate something. I just took some stuff with me. So, why? Do you need? Do you need to see him or this book or something? I'm kind of missing your point here. Uh, yeah, we're Klika and her friends are looking for um, for Dashmani, but they with that information, we should be able to track them down. And we won't tell him that you you got his book. Don't worry. And he says, okay. I mean, I, I trust you well enough. But, uh, yeah, good luck with that guy. Anywho, have a good one. See you later. We can't buy the book? Oh, do we, do we want to buy the book, guys? Might as well. And so with that, he kind of shrugs a little bit and he says, 25 gold. Oh, I'm, I'm Klika, by the way. And he says, charmed, I'm sure. Oh, uh, I don't have that much did, gold. Did he say 25 in common? Uh, yeah, he'll say that one. All right, Jarzak will take out the gold. Oh, thank you. Hand it Guys, over. Um, his, name, his name is Charmed, I'm sure. So Ironically, sure. it is. <laughs> <laughs> But well, thank um, you for the information, Mister. I'm sure. And so with that, <laughs> kind of from idiocracy, where the guy's name is not sure. Mm-hmm. Very good. I know there's Ford Prefect. Anyway, um, so now the uh, he hands over the book to you guys, and he kind of just keeps back to his hush hush, little pulling people over once in a while to have the buy stuff. But um, you guys picking up the book and looking it over in your hands, opening the cover and looking at the title page on the inside. The book is entitled Of Schemes and Shadows by Dashmani. Oh, nice. That's not a sign. What? No. How big of a book? Like, how much do you think, how long do you think it would take to read? Uh, it's probably about 400 pages, but it seems more like a recounting of, of historical, how do I want to say it? like i guess political moves done by the various cults in the area that involve themselves in it but of the groups that are still existent as it seems like this historically speaking has like you know three groups that are kind of dead now or or have been made kind of like not of use in the area you know what i mean like cults that used to be big or whatever the biggest is obviously the eyes of failure and there's a pretty hefty section in here on them and how, I'm gonna read through this sucker. 
how dry is it? Is it like just very matter of fact, like yeah. here's information, or is it sort of uh, like sensationalized in a way that's made to be read? No, it's like a telephone book. This is sort oh, of right. just like a hard. Yeah, that, that's what Cleek is used to. And the so, old telephone book. And so the thing is, is that it writes out pretty much anybody who's been suspected to be a member or everybody who's suspected to have been killed by, as well as a various recounting of different possible motivations, which wars may have a hand and all that other stuff, as well as like an entire recounting of diseases that may have started or spread because of them in strange ways, various poisons, insects that have been bred and raised for such and such, basically everything you'd expect, but it's just so painfully, brutally dry that it just feels like you're falling asleep walking, trying to read it over. And so with that, the party's going to try to find Dashmani. Yeah, Klikas will let everybody know. Um, so uh, Charmed said that Dashmani has a place over by the Fang Stones. So I guess if we head towards that area, we might be able to track them down a bit easier okay so following the roads and asking the various guards and people who are walking about out here by the fang stones once you travel west past and over one of the large rivers that hails from the major stone uh by the mountains over here over near where the palace is which you guys can see those big kind of like onion top sort of domed pillars sitting out of the uh out of the stonework um, on the far side of the uh, city to the north where the palace is. Um, when you guys are traveling west, you cross over one of the rivers that hails from there. But as you guys are heading this way, it seems like, again, the shift from the marketplace to more residential structure is made pretty apparent by you guys passing more inns and taverns that look like they're not just for traveling people. Like it's more actually like to take care of people who stay here. And there's tons of houses and like apartment complex looking piles of stone out here. But Again, there's still some pretty busy little streets off of the main road that you guys are following into here. And eventually you guys are led um, in a direction towards what would have to be Dashmani's shop, as it appears to be this stoneworked, like singled out house that's among a few other ones, but it's squat and it is very much so separated from the other multi-leveled ones and kind of creviced away in a back alley of sorts. Um, but as you guys approach and get closer to this place, what would you like to do? Overall, it's probably about a story and a half, if that. It's very much so a flat-faced stone building with glass, like blown glass sort of windows that kind of like scallop inward a little bit. And the door seems to be made of like a refined uh, carapace, probably of something of like a bug or something like that that's been kind of reworked and like flattened and heated so that it can make something of a door shape. Um, pretty typical for a lot of these houses, but some of the bigger ones use wood rather. So this place looks kind of eclectic and strange, but in a way that's kind of acceptable amongst the uh, rest of stuff out here. So yeah, I wouldn't want to make the homeowners association angry. <laughs> God damn it, Anthony! You're just cruising for a fucking bruising right now. But anywho, what's the party gonna do? Does the shop appear to be open? Well, it doesn't appear to be a shop. It might just be his house. Um, on knock on the we door. Toward, I'm guessing, do we want, like, who do we want to have lead the conversation? Well, I think Jarzak just walked up and banged on I, the I got this, guys. Jarzak's <laughs> no. looking for that redemption arc. No, no, no. Tap, tap, tap. Knocking on that door. Let's go. Let's <laughs> go so with that. You uh, knock, knock, knock at the door, and the door slowly opens up and a, I, I don't know any way how to put it other than a man who looks not dissimilar from Jarzak opens the door. And in a way that's almost like super eerie, it looks just like Jarzak as a half orc who looks just like Jarzak, but 30, 40 years older, which for orcs, it's a lot closer to old age and like decrepit old manhood than you'd think, but it just looks like old man Jarzak. And when the door opens up, you can see that his eyes are both milk white. And when he opens up the door and looks at everybody uh, without really looking at them, you can tell that he's kind of like sitting here and 
I don't want to say it, scanning you guys over without actually looking at you. You know what I mean? And so he stands here in the cracked open doorway and he says, who knocks at my door? <gasps> Rapping. Who? Papa? Papa? Is, the, is that you? Pops? <laughs> and so with that, he takes his hands <laughs> and he puts them gingerly onto your face, but feels briskly for features. And he says, I have no children, but I can tell you. Well, Gareth? Yeah, yes. You as well? He spits on the ground. He says, I hate that place. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not there anymore either for a reason. And he says, that's good enough. And with that, he gestures for you to come in. And I just, I I look back, noticing this guy can't really see. I just, like, give a thumbs up to the group and, like, wave a bit. I'm like, come on, guys, let's go. I did it. I did it. Just watch this weird, <laughs> or this blind half-orc just feel up Jarzak's face and then let him in. Uh, uh, I have a couple of comrades being, out yeah, here. At least we're not being put out right away. Yeah. And so as the uh, party enter the place, it's small if only because there are so many different things that look delicate stacked up on countertops and on tabletops and on top of like cupboards and things, but not in a way that looks dirty or disheveled. It's all organized. It's just because there's so much delicate stuff hanging out, you're like so careful of where you're walking that you don't want to bump into something or have a cloak hook on something. But with that, he walks in and he says, um, he says, how many are there of you? Uh, there's three others. And he says, name yourselves and approach. Um, I'm Kleeka. And so he reaches down and begins to kind of feel gingerly. I, I, I will guide towards Kleeka, like help him, because I imagine that she's a lot lower than he was expecting. Yeah. Fair enough. And it seems like I again I wanna I wanna also make this note known too that like in any other circumstance, it's not like you know, people with visual impairments obviously need to go feeling faces all the time. But this feels like a level of intimacy he's trying to establish, as if you people entering his home this way, like he wants to have this level of connection. And in a way, I guess you could also argue he himself probably at one point could see. And there seems to be some level of like, I don't know how to put it in a way that doesn't sound offensive to people with visual impairments. What is this episode? I don't even. <laughs> I'm getting a vibe that this is like sort of that this is almost like a grading halfway between a handshake and a hug. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point is is that he seems to have lost his vision at some point, and not in a way that he was able to kind of come to terms with. So having an idea of what you people look like kind of gives him a sense that he had lost yeah, I mean, and depending on like if he's magic or not like once he feels a face he might be able to like just have a picture of the person the whole time i mean i like imagine that you know he, he probably has a pretty good idea just from anyway point is is that he lends you people into the place and he gets chairs out for you all and with that he sits you guys down and he sits at the table with you all and he says what business do you have in my home? We sought you out on the word of the queen. What queen? Uh, well, that would be... Are we not in Amaroth anymore, by the way? You guys are in that region, but Dustwind is actually its own separate entity. Right, of course. Uh, that would be... Queen Alvera of House Garavar of Amaroth. It makes sense to say the queen, you know what I mean? Like when people in common, like when people say like the queen, save the queen, like nobody is curious if it's the queen of like some other country. We all know which queen we're referring to, you know what I'm saying? And you guys- Also everywhere else might be empires. True. But uh, anyway, and so with that, he says, uh, well, I have no respect for anyone who holds power and majesty over others. Well, for my sake, anyway, I'm tech. I'm technically a, a, a foreign military, so she's not my queen. And he says, "How oh, very interesting." Does anybody else have anything important to say? 
Our main task is to gain more info on the eyes of failure. And so with that, he, I guess in the best way to put it, kind of like relaxes a little bit and stretches his back at the same time, reclining a little bit. And he says, well, why would you want to do a thing like that? The eyes are out for the queen's life and it would seem ours as well. We need somebody who understands them, their operations and their motivations to give us insight. And he says, what a pity. He says, perhaps you should just read some books and that will be enough. I actually did get one of your books. And so with that, he kind of turns his head a little bit towards you and he says, how did you come across such a tome? Kleeko immediately just shoots a look at Anton, just like. And so with that, he kind of tilts his head towards Kleeko doing all that moving. And he says, how did you come across this tome? Bought it in the market. From I kind of pass it over to him. I don't know if a book would mean anything to a blind person, but just the feel of it, just so if he can recognize, like, I imagine, it, I'm trying to remember that it's a fantasy world and not our world where books aren't printed, they're written individually. So I don't know how many copies actually exist. I imagine there's something of a printing press in this part of the world, especially with people who have such important books. But this one is definitely going to be a handwritten sort of deal just because it's his book and everything. But with that, he looks you guys over and back again. And he says, so... You got this from a thief and you decided to bring it back to me after paying him and you wish to learn of the murderous death cult looking to kill the queen. It's me. I know they were trying to kill me. True enough. And so with that, he reclines in his seat a little bit again until finally he stands up and he kind of turns awkwardly and walks far off over to the, uh, how do I say it? To like something of like a broom closet in this place. And he opens the door and walks into it and closes the door. And that seems to be it. And you guys are all just kind of sitting here awkwardly in this chamber. And can I get a perception check real quick? And Did you go to the bathroom? Jarzak also try to follow him. Damn it, Jarzak. I got a 20 on my perception check. Not Nat. 18 on the perception check. Oh. These guys do work. What do you know? I'm assuming okay. it's a P. So everybody can... Thank you, Ronnie. So everybody <laughs> can hear the sounds of the front door locking as if some sort of a strange magical entity lock just seems to lock the whole portal. You know what I'm saying? Like the door itself, the whole frame. And that door that uh, Jarzak, that you're approaching right now, even before the door closes all the way, as you went to go follow him, you see him dissipate into nothingness as that door closes. As it hangs like slightly ajar, like, you know what I mean? Like you can see him fade into it as the door closes behind him. And you stand here in this place as it seems like you may have been trapped in some sort of way. Guys, I Are think we we've learning been swindled. in real time? <laughs> Are you what? what? Is he teaching us about the, the cult in real time? We he is the cult. pay for an escape room. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, you can tell that coming out of perfect invisibility in the back of the chamber are a series of three individuals two men and one woman, and each of them are wearing white robes as well as thick metal armor. And they all kind of come walking out of the back corner of the room with silver blades drawn and big metal shields shining in silvery as they come out of the back area with the blades drawn. And they say, what business do you have here looking into the home of such a vile creature? And what business do you have asking questions about that act most foul as treachery against the queen? What and business Clica needs to be justified? Very, very clearly, Kleeka can tell above everybody else as everybody harks back to that lady who had her neck cracked in the woods. 
but this is very clearly a contingent of the Tome Guard, and they do not look happy to see you guys in a, an occult place with, like, fiction fantasy man walking in the bathroom, and they all have swords drawn, and they're like, why the fuck are you trying to research killing the queen? Like, whoa, This isn't tra- is entrapment. Why don't you take a seat right there? Why don't you just take a seat? I'm sorry, you brought a book called Of Schemes and Shadows? Yeah, we just wanted to hear about it. Yeah, why would you bring that to a little old man's house? Like, listen, it looks bad, but I was just going to teach him about it. Is Chris Hansen getting in on this bad episode? This is, is that. Yeah, so this is like the fourth X. If they were spying on us, they're pretty shitty spies because then they know the whole well, story. Th- they're good enough that we didn't notice them here the whole time. Yeah, you guys were just like, oh, there's a blind guy here. We should probably be very respectful and quiet and do whatever we can to be nice to the poor old blind guy. Meanwhile, the lady at the door is just like, ha, 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 magic spell, trick these idiots. But with that, they still have the blades drawn and they say, what business do you have to be asking of the eyes of Felyur? Do we need your permission? Um, we're, oh, we're trying to track them down and stop them. And so with that, they look at you, Klika, a couple times, and one of them, like the guy in the back, he has like a moment where he lowers the blade to the ground for like like a little dink for a second. He just like tinks it off the ground for a second and like looks at you as if like the whole world came to a standstill and like tunnel visioned you two together in the tube. And then he like quickly shakes out of it, picks the blade up again. And he says, perhaps this one tells the truth. I sense great honesty in her. And then the other guy kind of puts his hand to his head and you can feel your brain being sort of slightly invaded. And they start to kind of like, you know, eyeball you in particular. And they say, fair enough. We have much to discuss, but we'll have to do that in the next episode. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dangerous. Thanks. <laughs>